Welcome to the snooze button. Hey, I'm Brittany of Brittany She and Sleep. I've got 99 problems, but my kid's sleeping isn't one. Okay, guys, we have a very exciting snooze button today. Um, this is not only the first time I'm doing a course confidential, so talking to a family who's taken my course, but it's also the first time that we have a dad on that isn't my husband. So, Adam, welcome. Hello. <laughs> so, okay, I, I posted about you on Instagram, Adam, and I explained that you were a client who'd taken my course and you are a film and TV director and producer. What I did not disclose is that you also were my date to Alex's other close friend's wedding when Alex was in the wedding and we took a prom photo outside my husband's house by his mom. I, I don't even remember that. You don't remember that? That was I don't remember the prom photo. It might be it's possible that I was drinking earlier. You were for day. sure drinking earlier. Yes. But um I think that was the first time we met, like in that moment. Like Yeah, no, that was yeah. that was a great bonding thing, I thought. Wow, Alex has really? got I know. a great one. Alex, thank you. Thank you. And I thought the same thing. He has such nice friends. Um that was great. Um and your wedding was also the first wedding that my son Teddy ever attended as a one-year-old. Oh, yes. It was, it was, no, no, it was like a kids, kids welcome wedding, like all kids welcome, like let it be pandemonium, which I think mostly worked out and allowed people to come that might not have come. Yeah. Um, otherwise, although I think my mom maybe got into it with some distant cousin and their <laughs> child briefly. So maybe that wasn't great, but I think in general it was like she it got into well. it with the child. Like your mom had a, had a tiff with the child. I like this story. I think she maybe like shushed the child during the ceremony and then the mom got mad or something like that. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. I'm glad that wasn't me. Probably yeah, wouldn't be having no. this, uh, this episode. Um, it was kids welcome. And now that I'm, and that was before I was a parent. So now that I am a parent, I sort of like retroactively appreciate the spirit with which we offered that to our friends. Yeah. Oh my God. It was so much fun. Um, so you and Alex, I was asking him last night to refresh my memory. Like you guys went to country school together, but you also went to boarding school together. So you guys were in school together from kindergarten through when until you went to college, right? Yeah, well, second grade for me, I went to, I came to that school a little late, country school, but uh, yeah, I was like, man, Alex has been one of my best friends since second grade. So cool. Love it. Yeah. I actually think, truthfully, that's one of the things I liked most about Alex when I met him, is I liked that he had all these friends that he'd known his whole life. I think that's kind of unusual. Um, if you can grow and evolve and become different people and still be friends, I think that's such a cool thing. I yeah. No, no, it was Alex and I, like, we were like, very classic like suburban friends who lived who biked to each other's houses every day and played in you know the park and went down to the creek and all this you know very like americana stuff um but yeah yeah long and, friends and you guys were a little bit naughty it sounds like too it's i'm sure <laughs> oh you're talking about in well there's probably french, a lot of examples french of class is the one example i was recently given um, yes, there was a case of a French teacher hitting me, which I'm sure, and I think Alex even explained this, that I was being like a little bastard. <laughs> and I think, you know, we just, we, Alex and I were both bad at languages and took 
French class and, you know, just goofing off and goofing around. And this is this older woman and, and, you know, or just, just not paying any attention and being unserious. And I think she like, I asked if I could go to the bathroom or something like that. And she told me no. And I like rolled my eyes and I was like, geez, I'm sorry. (laughs) She like slapped me on the top of that, which is not good. She should not have done that. That is not appropriate behavior in any time period. But there's, and if that happened today, she's no longer the French teacher. That's, you know, I think that, I think nineties kids, we have some grit to us, you know, get slapped around a little bit. Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, It's probably true. (laughs) But that's pretty funny. Um, so how did you then go from slapped, uh, you know, (laughs) bad behaving French student to producing like some of the most popular documentaries Netflix has ever had? Um, where, how did we get from one to the other? Um, well, yeah, I, you know, I moved out to LA. I've always been super into film and television and, you know, I was like, you know, when I was a kid watching old movies and, you know, just like just watching tons of movies and uh, always super into film. And um, that's that's what I knew I wanted to do. I went to college to study it. I came out to L.A. and it's obviously like a very hard industry to break into. Um, yeah. And so you spent I spent a couple of years sort of like you know, at the bottom of ladders that I realized I didn't want to get to the top of, you know, sort of like, Oh, I'm working in a film company. It's like, but if, even if I'm like, if in like 10 years, I became that guy who's my like super boss, I wouldn't even like that job. And so I ended up taking an internship um, with a development company that did mostly like scripted stuff, Mm -hmm. but they had like a unscripted documentary division and they were making a, I actually don't know if I'm entirely allowed to talk about this. I think there were some NDAs involved because the <laughs> short version of this is that we ended up getting fired from it. But, um, but I ended up working on a documentary uh, and with this director, Greg Whiteley, who had made um, two movies before that are really great, New York Doll and Resolved. And... Um, and I was like a PA, like the lowest person on the totem pole. And he just really liked me. And he's he was really generous with his sort of like time. And I would like take him ideas that I probably should have been afraid to give him. But maybe it was like too dumb to realize that I should have been afraid. And he liked them. And he, um, when we all eventually had to leave this project that was sort of like doomed in many ways, it he sort of called me up and was like, Hey, I'm working on this new project where he had actually um, been filming Mitt Romney for like, cool. he like filmed Mitt Romney announce his presidential. Um, and it was, he filmed Mitt Romney deciding with his family to run for president and like for the first time he ran where he lost him came. And so he had just all this intimate footage with the Romney family. And he's, and he's like, what do you think of this? And, you know, he knew that I was sort of like, maybe like politically on the other end of the spectrum, but that like, and I was like, this is just really interesting stuff, but like no one ever gets to see people like this. You need someone who's like, maybe this isn't like who I'd vote for, but like, I think this is really good content. That's the perspective I'd want. Right. Yeah. And especially who, how often do you get to see these people that are so manufactured 
in their real state, which, you know, especially right. with Mitt Romney, who's like a, um, you know, sort of famously made fun of for being like stiff and sort of like a, this like manufactured political robot. This guy was actually like quite warm and like cared about his family a lot. It was really interesting for me. Um, and so I worked on that with him for a bunch of years. And then we also got hired to make a, uh, a movie about education reform kind of um, called most likely to succeed, which is like about like, it sort of is about how school systems are, especially, you know, that like are super curriculum based um, and standardized or sort of based on old factory models from like the turn of the century. And we sort of profile these schools that are um, like project based learning schools that are, you know, sort of seem super extreme. But if you think about it, are actually much closer to what real life work is like. So that's cool. So anyways, we, we were working on these two documentaries. They both came out. They both went to Sundance um, and, and Mitt, uh, the Mitt Romney documentary ended up being like the second documentary ever on Netflix. Um, the second ori original documentary was like a Netflix original. They bought it before Sundance. And, um, and Greg had, we were connected with somebody who had this uh, idea or uh, several companies based on an article profiling junior college football. Yep. And like people don't ever talk about junior college football, but it's this really interesting place where you have these high level, you know, like people that have been at like Georgia and Alabama and Ohio state, these like huge football institutions, but because of grades or because of like a disciplinary issue, they end up getting kicked out and they go to these JUCOs and they like rehab their, um, the reputation and you know the nfl and, and to a lesser degree but still even the nba is has got tons of guys that went through these juco programs so yeah. it's this really interesting place where you have these kids whose sort of life are on is on the line where like there is a slim margin they could actually like become millionaires and go to the nfl yeah. or they could get or at the very least they could get a scholarship and get a free education or they could sort of fall through the cracks and go back to um, in many cases, you know, rough places and um, places without a lot of opportunity. So it's seemed incredibly dramatic. And luckily, Netflix loved the idea. And um, yeah, we made seven. What did we do? We did. I think we've done seven seasons overall, if you count basketball. Yeah. So we've done um, five seasons of football, two in Mississippi, two in Kansas, one in Oakland. And then two at East LA College, which is Last Chance U Basketball, which is like a spinoff show. They're incredible, Adam. I mean, the first season, I still think the first season, uh, within the football ones, the first season in Mississippi was just incredible. Like Alex and I watched it twice. Um, and I think it's as I personally am a big college football person. I love watching college football. I'm super into it. About once a month off season, I'm like, I wish we could watch football this weekend. Like, I get upset. And seeing, like, putting or humanizing, I guess, these people. And, you know, these are not just, like, teams like, oh, all of the guys in Alabama, they're so big and, like, flashy and whatever. And when you take it out of that and you see these individual people, it's incredibly humbling and just fascinating and in some ways really sad to see to your point, their lives are on the line. And a lot of times it's like this really, I mean, last chance you was a great name for it. It's like, this is the last chance they have to lift their families out of poverty, to make something of themselves and to like change generations that, you know, 
haven't had the best experience, I guess. So it's really, it's such a cool thing that you guys are doing and highlighting. I love it. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, it's my, the first one's my, probably the first one of football and the first season of basketball, mm-hmm. probably my favorite ones we've ever done. It's sort it's some of it is what, what we filmed, like what happened. I won't spoil it, but those yeah. two seasons have extremely dramatic um, conclusions um something pretty big happened in both of those places and but it's kind of the nature of it it's like we always say like you could do that show forever because it's like you could highlight you know in each season we may be like there's you know 20 guys on a football team there'll be 50 guys or something but you know you basically pick like four or five that are kind of the ones you're going to focus on and do backstories on we always say you could pick five others. It would be just as interesting. I mean, this, yeah. just it's inherent to it's as you're saying, how much is on the line for them? It's incredibly like unfair. You know, it's like can you imagine? I can't imagine for me personally, for my life, I came from a degree of privilege in which I could go to college, and if I had dropped out of college, I wouldn't be ruined. You know, there would probably be some sort of safety net to that. Whereas these kids, you know, they're 19 and or 20 and they have to really grow up fast and make big decisions and not screw up. And yeah, I mean, I think that all the time about when I like when people are criticizing even like NBA and NFL guys that are young. Yeah. um, It's like who who among us would want the world to be watching everything we did when we were 22 or 23? You oh know. my God. I think about that all the time, even with like actors and stuff. When we, you know, we, they say, you know, people are getting canceled right and left for something they tweeted 20 years ago. And it's like, I don't know if you followed me around for my entire 19th year, I'd probably get canceled too. Like 90% of us. So, and in, also to your point about like, if you had dropped out of college or something, you also spent the first 18 years of your life with a family that supported you and gave you like the tools to succeed socially and like in the real world and academically. So not only are these guys have so much on the line, but they also, they don't have any of that. Like I remember there was one Miss Brittany loved her um, in the in Mississippi. I think her name was Miss Brittany, right? Oh yeah. Brittany Widener. Yeah. <laughs> Who was like kind of their guidance counselor or whatever, but she would be like, do you have a pencil guys? Do you have a pencil? Right. She was like <laughs> giving them like the things that I'm teaching my five-year-olds right now. And it's like, cause no one had ever done that for them. It's incredibly fascinating. Um, so yeah, when... there's this. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you tell me. There's this guy when we're doing that education documentary. Just to this point, there's a guy named Jeffrey Canada, who's um, I think that's his name. He was the head of the Harlem Children's Zone, which is like a wildly successful school in Harlem um, that you know turned around and wasn't a successful school, and he uh, and we interviewed him for this movie and like the entire school has like college pennants everywhere. Like, you know, like a Yale and you know, like the little like old school pennants. And we asked him about it and he was making the point that he was like, you know, around here, he's like, there's gravitational pulls and where you guys come from, like us, the filmmakers who like, went to film school and stuff like that. It's like your gravitational pull is to go to college mm-hmm. that he's like, and it's unconscious people, your parents, friends say, where are you going to college? Where are you applying to college? What are you thinking about doing to the point where even if you didn't want to go to college, it's, 
it would be You're sort gone. of a risk yeah. for you to not do it. It's like you have to make like a hard decision to not do it right. and have everyone be disappointed in you. And he's like, in here, around here, it's the exact opposite where no one asks you that. It's not expected of you. And you don't, you know, you don't, you know, it's like, that's not something that it, you might even get looked at, you know, sort of like suspiciously if you say that yeah. you are. And so he's like, we're trying to change the language around here so that everyone here expects to. And it sort of gets at, you know, privilege and sort of the, some of these, some of the things that I think we take for granted and that uh, especially these kids at the last chance use schools, you know, often didn't have. Totally. Yeah, I guess you don't think about that, but it's so true. I, I don't remember ever thinking about if I was going to college, it was just like, where are you going to go? That was always the conversation, right, with everyone. Totally. Um, so when you have had periods, because I know a lot of your work is done, obviously, in an editing room and things like that. You're, you know, in your studios and stuff. But when you guys have been, like, on the ground in these locations, because you did cheer, right, as well as so you guys did the basketball, last chance you, the football, last chance you, and cheer. So you were in places in parts of the country, like, you know, if you're in Kansas, you're not in Kansas City, right? We're not at like the Ritz, Kansas City. We're in like no. the middle of nowhere. So when you're in those situations away from home as a, you know, the crew, what did you guys like do when you weren't working? Like, did you have places you would go out to eat? Did you start to kind of befriend anyone in the cast? Or like, what was that sort of life like when you're on the road in these places? Yeah. I mean, I, I was like, Yes, to your point, it is not Kansas City. It is even in Mississippi. It is not, you know, uh, it's not even Meridian, which I bet I bet most people haven't even heard of Meridian. I mean, although they ended up moving to Meridian because at first they were stationed pretty much right near Scuba, Mississippi, which is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, uh, luckily, I was I've been fortunate in that for most of the seasons, except for basketball, I'm sort of. Uh, sort of one of the creative heads of post-production like editing and so I right. sort of I worked for, I've worked for Greg for years and when he went off to do these shows it's sort of like all right I'll go in the field I need somebody to stay in LA and right. be working with the editors on this footage we're getting and you know mapping out the story and helping to do that um and then going back and forth but I'd visit them and it's yeah I mean it's like the for the first year they literally the crew I don't know, you get away with it these days on a film set, but they had to eat Subway or fried chicken from this gas station in Scuba every single day because they just, it would take too long to get anywhere else. The second season, they figured it out and got some catering and, but it is, I mean, it is remote. And I mean, to your question about befriending, I mean, you kind of have to become friends with all the people that you're filming with. Um, I mean, it's to shoot the type of documentaries we do, which we call verite documentaries or like heavily verite, which means just sort of like real life walking around with people. You know, this the difference being like there's like talking head documentaries that are like Ken Burns or something like that, where you're telling something that happened. And you don't actually have the footage of it, but right. you try to make it feel like it does. Verite documentary filmmaking is, you know, you're just filming real life. You're filming people as they walk around classes and they go to their football practices. And so to a certain degree that you, they have to get comfortable with you and you become better at asking them questions. You become better at knowing what to film next by just getting to know them. And then also, I mean, these people, even though they, 
you might think like, oh, you know, the stuff we're talking about earlier, like these are like 19 year old kids who come from like really different backgrounds, but they're all super funny, nice people. Like they're all like, they all have like, they all want the right things in their life. And um, they're always very happy to be filmed and want to be filmed and are really excited you know it's like obviously if you're at a juco like it's like a really big deal like oh a netflix yeah. crew is here um so everyone's really excited so but kind of the nature of our filming is to you, to get the best footage you almost kind of have to wear people down by your presence a little bit so sure. it means being there a lot yeah. it's like it's actually kind of unheard of the way we do it a lot of shows like us film for actually a much shorter amount of time than we do um and they just try to make it seem like it does but i think i think the reason why we're pretty good is that we film a lot we film we film mostly stuff that you'll no one will ever see you have you have to film just boring people having a dumb conversation in the locker room because one out of every six of those conversations is going to turn really funny or emotional or dramatic and you can't predict it. Right. And that also makes it a real, so it's a lot of time spent. Yeah. That's great. And I'm sure yes. it like it, you being around all the time, but they start to get desensitized to it too. Right. Cause I'm sure the first day if someone was filming me in my everyday life, I would not be normal even if I was trying to be right. Cause it's weird. But if someone was there every day for three months by month, end of month three, I'm doing whatever I do. Right. It's just, this is it. That's what we say is our footage, our best footage is always like our last couple of weeks of, cause they're just like sick of the camera. It becomes invisible to them. Um, and yeah, they're just the, the sort of sheen of like, well, Netflix is here sort of wears off. It's like, Oh God, can you give me a little bit of space while I yeah. sit down and do this test or while I talk yeah. to somebody and that's where you get people acting pretty normal because we don't want to use footage where somebody, I mean, a lot of, it's very funny. The first, this happens inevitably at any school is the first week. People are like looking at the, going into the camera and like saying their Twitter or Instagram handles, like it's live TV or something. And they're like, very like, want to give a shout out to this person. And it's like, this isn't, we're going to edit this out. This is not live, but you know, it's very exciting. Yeah. Hi, this is Johnny. Yeah, he's, he's I always... <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, God. I like that. Um, okay. I want to ask a couple of questions that um, I posted on Instagram and had some people ask questions for you. So um, Scott asked, how do you find ideas and decide which projects to pursue? That's a good one. So like, if, do people ever approach you? Because I remember I actually told you, I don't want to give it away. I told you something you should do once. Um, that was like, this is crazy, this thing that happens in a part of the country. This is a good idea. I agree with you. Do you get things like that where people are like, have you thought about filming this thing or, or whatever? All the time, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I mean, we we develop some stuff ourselves. Um, I mean, a lot of stuff, but a lot of it. And we just get bombarded with people, especially with sports stuff, because yeah. we've done it a lot and and people you know like oh they're the sports guys but um you know i get we get every week it's like you should do the field hockey of last chance you you should last chance you you should do water polo last chance you you should do like this baseball team and you know um in russia you know it's like all these ideas and and yeah and so a lot of it is 
being like, yeah, you know, you, you have to kind of consider everything and whether it's worth it because you don't want to dismiss anything out of hand. A lot of, our, I mean, especially like think about cheer. If you had said, I want to do a documentary about um, junior college cheerleading on the surface. If you didn't explain that, no one would think that's a good idea for a show. Certainly no one would think it would be a huge hit. And that was like our biggest hit ever of all of our shows. Um, but you know, it's like, okay, why is junior college cheerleading interesting? Oh, actually junior college cheerleading is not like a drop off in quality. They're just as good as some of the other schools. And actually this one's really like better than a lot of the other schools. And and so you you find out about it, and what ends up happening is whether someone pitches it to us, whether we came up with the idea ourselves, sometimes um, the networks themselves will be like, someone else pitched us this idea, would you want to work with them? Um, you go out there and you meet the people, and oftentimes you film. And so we have like a lot of oh, shows or movies that never happened where we filmed with someone for like a week or something. Um, it's like a, a pitch that or pitch or a sizzle, they'll call it. And part of it is to show the network that it's um, this could be a good idea or here's what it would look like if we did this show. And part of it is for you to audition what it's like to film there. And the big mm -hmm. thing is access. So right. like how everyone says, oh, we'd love to have you film with us. You know, you'd be. You should do, you know, you did junior college. You should do us. We're even bigger than them. Yeah. And then you go there and because they're bigger than them, they have a lot of people with a lot to lose and they, oh, well, you can't film this meeting or no, you can't. Right. You, know, you can't mic me up when I'm talking to this person and you can get around it. Sometimes you could deal with a little bit of restrictions, but there's like a limit to it. You can't make a good documentary series unless you kind of have like most access that you want right. and so it's pretty self-selecting you know it's like you go to yeah. these places and it's like okay we can't film here they they'll never let us do what we need to do and it's that sort of like, why we've done a lot of stuff in junior colleges right because that's kind of the secret sauce like i'm thinking in particular there was one coach in in the first season of basketball too in the first season of the football i think it was first or second like the head coach was a complicated guy right and like you guys showed that it wasn't just like, oh, he's, you know, rah, rah, go team. Like he has some edge to him. And I, I imagine you're not going to get that with Nick Saban. Like you're not going to get him at home swearing and bitching and whatever. Right. Like you're going to get the like sterilized what and not just Nick Saban. I mean, like any, <laughs> any college. Right. So I feel like that you, it does, it does change the quality of the show for sure. Anybody who's got a huge, financial incentive not to give you um frank information i mean it's like i don't want to disparage any other shows but there are a lot of other shows about more big time things that exist that you can watch on other networks that they're not as much for me because i watch them and i can tell that they didn't get access they didn't get real answers it seems right. it's like this might as well just be like a espn 360 like you know look behind the recruiting and it's like right. again if you part of the pitch we make and it's incredibly generous of all these people you know these coaches and Brittany wagner and the players to and you know monica aldama at navarro to like 
let you do this. Um, but we have to tell them like, we need to show the bad so right. that the good makes sense and comes out of something, you know, totally. you can't just show you be <laughs> great all the time. And you're like, you, you know, everyone wants to think that, yeah, if you film me, I'll, I'll look great. I'll be super heroic, but you know, it's probably not the case. Right. But it makes it real. And it makes it good. Um, totally. So Nicole had asked, and I think I, I, you don't even need to answer this because you already did. She asked, how real are people in documentaries? Do you find that people turn it on for the camera? But you just kind of explained that. That's part of your secret sauce is both the access and the amount of time you're there. So that like shifts over time. Um, but Morgan asked, how do you and your wife handle you being away from your family for long periods when filming? And I think for you, it's probably not so much being away for like really long periods, but just you don't have a nine to five, right? So like you're not like an accountant who's like sitting at his desk and clocks out at five every day and is home for dinner. No. And yeah, it's for a lot of the shows um, um, before the pandemic, I'm working in office in LA since the pandemic, I've been working from home um, in Los Angeles. So I'm home and I'm sleeping at home at night. And then even in basketball where I'm a director, last chance you basketball, I'm sleeping at home at night, but I'm in the field and those are, you know, shooting at the East LA college and film, film, film sets are sort of the wild west. It's you film long, like to get the type of footage we get, you kind of have to film a long time. And, you know, you might be have on your schedule. We're supposed to wrap today at six. because we started early. And so I'm going to get home to see my daughter before she goes to bed. And then, at five, you know, oh, Shamar is going to go to this, um, wants to, you know, go to this barbershop and get his haircut. That'd be a really good scene. We were looking for a scene like that. We should probably film that. It's like, okay. And I have to text my wife that I'm not filming home. And it's, yeah, sure I mean, it's very difficult. That. No, she does not. <laughs> I mean, she's, I mean, the, the hardest part is on her frankly um and she has to do the most makeup work i mean we talk very frankly about it but um before i start these projects but it's it's hard and it's 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 hard not to be there for your kid and especially you know uh, i have a uh she's about to turn four-year-old um and then i don't think i've actually my i have a newborn son uh that i'm sure we'll get to that uh, I haven't really been filming anything since he was born, but you know, my, my daughter is not an easy, <laughs> she's not easy to put to sleep. She's on the range of difficult um, to easy kid. She's definitely on the difficult side and she's, she's awesome and she's hilarious, but she's like a firecracker and she never wants to go to sleep. And okay, well, Adam, she's our next project then that we can talk about that offline. Okay, well, I've I've somewhat solved it. And I just took away her nap. <laughs> um, we took it away her nap. And it is. And we've convinced we just got an email from her school today being like, they're gonna let her not nap. Yeah, that's hard um, to do when you, when you want to drop the nap. And I've had clients where they're like, what can we do to not let this four year old sleep because they're falling asleep at 930 every night or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 hard. I mean, it's it's like, but I mean, to, to the original question about working, a lot of it is just communicating with my wife and and 
telling her beforehand, trying not to sneak it up on her so she can just sort of being conscious and sensitive to the emotional side of it to her. Like, it's like, this might suck, but it sucks a lot more if you didn't know it's coming. And so trying to give her the information as much as possible. And then for me, a big part of it is like trying to, and not sort of a a big part of it is, is sort of like accepting guilt to, Mm -hmm. to, I think, I think I wanted my wife to like, tell me it was, everything was okay. And that I'm allowed, you know, you can do this and don't worry. I've got it, honey. And I think that was somewhat unrealistic and not fair of me. It's like giving her space to be like, yeah, I'll do this. Doesn't mean I'm happy about it. I'm not going to make you necessarily feel better all the time. I'll, I'll try not to be difficult about it, but it's like tolerating guilt um, on my part. And yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I can feel a little bad because we all want me to do this. Um, but right. yeah. Right. Not letting that, that guilt overwhelm you. I think that's a really important thing. I think all parents feel like that sometimes. And you have to like be able to sit with some discomfort and know you both want the same thing, but. It's not all roses every day. That's for sure. No, I mean, I, I have, I mean, it's not a video, but we got this Nest Cam up here. I'm in my daughter's room right now. And I'm at work at late. And it's like the worst feeling ever when I, I'm like, all right, I'm going to peek in on how nighttime is going. And I can see my daughter being a nightmare and yelling at my wife and refusing Aww. to go to bed. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> like, you just, it's like there's nothing I can do about it it's not like I'm going to quit my job and run home and right, right. she doesn't expect that of me but it's just it's like yeah that sucks so be extra nice to your wife tomorrow <laughs> yeah that would be my next question is that when you have days like that like you know because there are times for sure you do have to sneak it up on her and your daughter's struggling to go to sleep or just being a little you know typical four year old um, what do you guys do to kind of like repair that or like did, does she have things on the weekends where you're like I'll take the kids you go hang with some friends or sleep in whatever yeah totally I mean I probably she's probably at a deficit that can't be filled in terms of how much more she's done for me than I've done for her um, and I probably should do a better job of every more of that but it's like you know do you want to take a weekend? Do you want to go home? Especially when we didn't have baby, um, going to take a weekend by yourself or, um, you know, I can take her for a couple hours if you want to like catch in like a nap or just trying to offer when I can, but you know, it's, it's, it's just trying to be fair and listen to her. And then just when she tells me to do something, then my role is like, do it. Don't like, don't question it. Like, even if it's like I'm tired or whatever, it's like if she wants me to do something. But that in itself, I'm sure you talked about this on mm-hmm. your podcast. That's another thing I had to learn and I'm still learning is I'm like, oh, I'm like the dumb dad who doesn't know anything. And, just, you know, I'll, but I'll try to put on a good face and do whatever she tells me to. But that's in a way that's its own unfair thing, you know, that they like the mental load. It's like, right. OK, yeah, eventually she had to be because my, my wife is a therapist. Right. Um, like mental health therapist and she's knows the language and how to talk about this stuff. And she's like, you're, you know, it's like a lot of, you can't just say like, Oh, I'll do whatever you want. And that makes you a good husband. Like right. you have to help me think of what to do because right. then it all comes down to me. Um, right. And, you know, and then I have to nag you and I have to feel bad that I asked you to do it, you know? And right. so, 
that's something I definitely struggle with and I'm, you know, I still struggle with. Um, but I think <laughs> as they're getting older, I'm getting better at it. I'm trying to. Really? We're all like learning and navigating this together though, you know? And I, I think that happens that like that situation you guys are in, I think all families are in for the, like most, I should say most like heterosexual couples are in. And I do think that part of it is just because before we have kids, it, the stuff that like is traditionally like the woman's stuff usually falls to the woman and kids are included in that. So it's just like a natural progression. And then at some point when you have multiple kids, it's like, wait, now I can't be in charge of like remembering the groceries and all the kids stuff and whatever. Right. So it's just, but I think having the conversation is the best thing you can do. Like, I think most of us as moms would say, if we have husbands who are willing to hear that and try to do like all of us just want to do better right and want to be better partners and better parents and that's the best we can hope for so. yeah because kids are really hard <laughs> i mean I, again it's my daughter is like i mean she is like the most charming like she's funny so kid cute. And, <laughs> she's yeah so she's cute. she's great and like if you met her you'd think wow that's like the that's like the greatest kid and she is difficult. She is uh, not easy. And you know, it's a chicken and the egg thing. Is that because she's our first kid and we didn't, and we screwed up and didn't know what to do or is that her natural, <laughs> is that her natural way? Um, but you know, it's like a, it's, it's totally draining and yeah. you know, every single thing that makes your parenting worse, you know, it's like when, when my daughter gets sent home from school, cause like, Oh, she has like a little bit of like, oh, we, we noticed she has like, maybe has a cold or something like that. It's like devastating. It's like, oh my God. Like I, I don't have a day, you know, it's like, it's, yeah, I can't do anything. It's, it's, and that's something again, <laughs> we need to work on his parents to make her more self-sufficient, no, but you know, it's, normal. it's a burden for you for an entire family. It's, it's, you know, yeah. it's to be good to her, but also not resent her. It's, it's, it's hard. Totally. I think that's the hard. I feel like this all the time, like this sort of guilt of like, I love my kids so much, but one of them, my oldest is that one. He's just tough. He's just, he's a tough kid sometimes. And you know, you feel so guilty when you're frustrated with them and you just want a break from them and want them to stop being so difficult. And then as soon as they go to bed, I'm like, I feel bad. I feel like I was kind of short with him. He just wants to be with me. Da, 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 da. but I can't get anything done and you know that's that's life that's totally life that's it's so horrible <laughs> like <laughs> why would it, why did I say that to her like what like so bad like oh, you feel worse. so bad but it's like in the moment it's like well yeah she just broke that thing that I made for her or she threw <laughs> that food I made for her or like she just did something like really disrespectful and it's like okay but she's three and you know so you have to remember that but it's like but in the moment you're like you know you you just <laughs> whether you say it or just feel it it's like it's like adult emotions it's like the way you feel about like an adult that has pissed you off you know it's oh. like you more <laughs> it's like you're so pissed <laughs> off and it's it's terrible and they're like and then you're like looking at this cute picture of them on your phone you're exactly like, like how can i be mad at them <laughs> but you know what i will say i will say from personal experience is that like they their memory is so short-lived with our frustration and anger that i will have the it happens all the time it happened two days ago i was in the kitchen with alex and teddy and i had been really short with teddy and i was just like wasn't being patient i was snapping at him i was at one point i was like 
what is wrong with you? Which I can't believe I said that to my five-year-old, what is wrong with you? But he was just being crazy. And so I like got down on his level and was like, Teddy, I want you to know like how proud I am. I like had this whole speech about how proud I was and how he's growing so much. And I really, and he literally just like, is like nodding, like not listening at all. And then it's like, so mama, I think um tomorrow, I think that we should go get treats and could we go get ice cream? I know it's raining, but like he wasn't even paying attention to me. He couldn't have cared <laughs> about my speech. He didn't care that I was snapping at him. It's like they, I think it's the general like aura of like, I am loved and taken care of. And my parents are human and they're fine. You know, so. I know. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope I'm right, too. I'm just telling myself that. Um, OK, so then I want to touch on quickly before we go um, us working together. So and I'm, I'm guessing I don't want to put the words in your mouth that part of the catalyst for you wanting to take the baby sleep and schedule course with your son probably came from struggles with your daughter. Um, and Entirely wanting to, wanting to make sure that didn't happen again. So, like, I guess what was the catalyst to being like, we want to do this and then anything like obviously it was a good experience or you wouldn't be here but um anything that like surprised you in a good way that you were like i'm really glad we did this because xyz happened and it was really good yeah i mean it's entirely because of my daughter it was basically like not a reaction to any way that my um son was it's um it was entirely like <sighs> Our daughter was difficult and she wasn't even that terrible with sleep, but it was just she um, had trouble latching and, you know, it turned out later she had a tongue tie, but was, you know, really, it was awful and it was especially awful for my wife. And um, like the combination of my daughter being sort of difficult to latch, um, us being new parents, not always knowing exactly what to do you know, the general lack of sleep you get, um, you know, I, I, I asked my wife, it's like, okay to say this on here, but you know, she had some postpartum depression yeah. as a result of it. And we were, we just like with this new baby, we're like, you know, our, our older daughter, Nina is like, she's difficult enough. The fact that we're going to have two of them, like, let's, I was like, we're going to get a night nurse. We're going to get, you know, <laughs> we're going to get Brittany. We're going to do all these things and sort of attack it. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't know if it's a, again, it's a, is it, he's been a lot easier than she was. She, he eats really well, he sleeps really well, but, um, or, you know, he slept well within, you know, what they normally do, which is obviously waking up a lot, but it still felt like somewhat chaotic, just mixing in, having an older child. Right. And, um, and so when we took your course, I think, I mean, a lot of things were helpful. I, you know, I basically use even like little tricks. Like I, I have my own song I sing to him every time I put him down and just try to like stick to routine. But I would say if I had to pinpoint one thing, it's, it's the stick, it's the schedules. It's the sticking to a schedule and being pretty rigid, you know, adjusting when you need to. But just getting him into rhythm because he is like turned out to be like the best baby and he is like so happy and well rested and well fed. And I think a lot of it, it feels as though he is just like regulated. He feels yeah. like he wakes up a minute before he's supposed to get up. You know, he's sort of like 
he you can tell he expects the food when he is supposed to get it he wakes up when he's supposed to wake up he gets tired when he's supposed to get tired yeah. and it's it's really i mean i think it's like entirely a credit to the schedule you gave us and to the point where we did the the sort of consultation before the like true sleep training yeah and then i was like we prepared like a whole strategy and then the first night he just slept through the night and and i was like it's just he's just like well fed and well rested yeah. and right and he's like has no physical issues or emotional issues and he's just you know he's running like clockwork and i just it made it so smooth and so easy so i really can't thank you enough for yeah. For thinking about it that deeply, but you know, this, I mean, it's obviously, like I said, like the singing and all these just like different little tricks. Um, and then, and then the, you know, the general sort of like philosophy right. of, of like self-soothing and not being, you know, I, I've had to be the one, uh, my role in the relationship, which I'm sure is, is often the case is like for the dads, it's like, I'm, I'm good at being the, uh, unemotional, like, Right. You know, hard ass that's like, no, don't go in there. Don't just let him cry. You know, like right. my wife will be like, all right, well, I just need, I can't listen to this. I need to go somewhere else. But I'm like, I don't, know, I don't care if he's crying. He's a baby. He's, he should be crying. You know, it's like, and so I think it's confirmation that it's like, you know, as, as long as it's not like horrible screaming, they're clearly upset. If it's like babbling and infrequent, yeah. and that if it's crying a little bit, but it's not, but it's cry pause right. cry it's like that's not crying which is right. something i learned from you you know that's not i'm upset crying that's Being i'm uncomfortable or yeah i'm figuring it out and it's just all those tools it's just being well researched on something yeah well i'm so glad and i'm sure especially since nina gives julia a run for her money some evenings it's probably extra good that if you're clicking on the monitor at least one of them is just baby angel passed out asleep yes and now she is with the with the drop nap the thing nap. i mean Great. she which is it's again like we were saying earlier it's it was a pain because we discovered it over we had like a horrible run of like the week before christmas break she got hand foot and mouth Ugh. and then we all got hand foot and mouth yep, which is the worst too. thing i've ever had oh you got um, it as an adult oh my god oh yeah i got it terribly does not, that does not sound good no, it was like in my throat. It was so bad. Um, but yeah, it was like, so we were like had her for like extra long and we're like, oh my God, we're going to kill ourselves. Like, how are we going to deal with this break? And it was Julia's idea. It was just like, she needs to drop her nap. Like, I don't care if it's uncomfortable. We don't need that break in the middle of the day. Um, like she needs to go to sleep at night. And the second she did, she just, you know, 7 p.m. We're telling her story and she's already asleep. Amazing. And then we had a real struggle with the school because they don't have the teachers all the time to cover it to the kids that aren't asleep and the yep. teachers want need their break, which I totally understand. But it was like, oh, please, please, please don't make her sleep. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you figured that out. Yeah. Um, okay. I have one last question for you and then I'll let you go. Alex asked, uh, my husband, Alex, um, <laughs> is French a good class to take in school? And what was Alex's best sport, in your opinion? Okay. Um, I don't want to be controversial, because maybe there are some applications for it. But I don't think French is a good 
class to learn in America. Like, I just don't, it is not a useful language. I mean, it's not, it's not any more useful than learning, like, Italian or, you know, Portuguese right. or something like that. It is a very specific language. You would be way better off learning Spanish or Mandarin. And this or has nothing e to do with being slapped in French class. This is no, it is not. Or the fact that I was, or the fact that Alex and I are, te were terrible terrible French students. I mean, he just... does not speak for, like, he tried to say puis aller aux toilettes or something, and I was like, that's not how, like, the way he said it, I was like, that's not French. I don't know what that's... that language is. My wife, who doesn't speak any French, but speaks fluent Spanish, corrected me on, has corrected me on French several times. She's like, that's not the way you pronounce that. And it's like, it took seven years of French, and I learned nothing. Um, but yes, no, French, no one should take French. Your kid should take Spanish. Um, and then... Alex's best sport. I'm sure he wants me to say football, uh, but it is, it is, I'm pretty sure it's tennis. I mean, he it's, was like, it's definitely tennis. Yeah. He was like a, like a, it was very like, it was like a thing when Alex was younger, like Alex is number, ranked number four in New England. It was like this legendary, like yeah. Alex is ranked number four in New England for one year. That, that we was always like a benchmark of how good Alex was at tennis. But Alex is very good at tennis. Um, and he was, you know what? He was a very good football player. I mean, he was very good. I'm sure that the amount of torture you've been subjected to in terms of like watching old football tapes is more than I can imagine. But he did have a very good run of being a quarterback for our high school football team. And then he broke his collarbone and it was really, it was actually very sad. And I felt very bad for him because it was like this like Lynn sanity, like living his dream, like wanted it so bad and then totally succeeded. And then it got taken away from him. So oh my God, Lynn sanity is such a good, uh, <laughs> that's really funny. It was like that though. Um, yeah. This little guy just crushing it. Um, yeah. I mean, I've read Suzanne's diary, his little sister's diary about the day he got broke his collarbone and it's, it's traumatic. <laughs> it's a traumatic entry um, for all. So, okay. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being here. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. And um, good luck with Nina's nap dropping. And um, we're excited to to find out about your new project, whatever is coming next. Yes. I, I, I don't know to what degree I'm allowed to talk about it. Um, I think there's some information out there, but it uh, I will hint that it involves wrestling. Um, and it's really good. It's going to be really good. Can't wait to check it out. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Brittany. Loving the snooze button? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please leave a review. I will read it and internalize it, so make sure it's very glowing. If you're interested in working with me or learning more about my courses, head to brittanysheehan.com or follow me on Instagram at Sleep.